Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 335. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today we've got Kevin Rakeshaw. Hey, Kevin. Hey. Coming in live through the power of the phone. Hi, tech stuff. This week on the show, we'll be reviewing Tamara Kotevska and Lubomir Stefanov's Honeyland. We'll also be talking about something we're watching on the watch list and going over this week's new releases in theaters, VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember to please consider reviewing us on iTunes if you get a chance. That would be incredible. Just one bit of housekeeping this week. No new Ryan watches a movie. We attempted to record it and there were like there were technical problems and then Ryan was like choking on something and it, it was just like a, a, a storm of things that happened that uh, it, it just didn't work out. So yeah, so we had no. to postpone it. He is he seems to be committed to recording one for next week, so stay tuned for that. Uh and that's that's really it for housekeeping. I think we can dive into our review here. We're talking about Honeyland. I have a, a synopsis here. The last female bee hunter in Europe must save the bees and return the natural balance in Honeyland. When a family of nomadic beekeepers invade her land and threaten her livelihood. This film is an exploration of an observational indigenous visual narrative that deeply impacts our behavior towards natural resources and the human condition. This synopsis is a bit much. It's pretty Doesn't heavy. It? Yeah. It's like she, she must save the bees where it doesn't really seem like she's it doesn't really seem like the bees are well in that bad of shape. Like she doesn't seem to be saving mm. bees. And I don't, what, what's Honeyland? That's just a fictional place. Why is she returning to a natural balance in Honeyland? There's no Honeyland. Well, because what are you talking I think about? The, the, the big thing is just the neighbors. The, yeah. That's the what neighbors I mean. are the ones who are, they're fucking up the ecosystem big time. And it's weird that they refer to them as a family of nomadic beekeepers. Cause they didn't seem, they weren't, because they're not, they weren't beekeepers. No, they, they weren't. They totally bit off of her idea. They're just like, Hey, let's, That's let's the, get bees. It was so funny because like, so you, you can see the moment when that guy decides that he's going to start cultivating the honey because he's like asking her like, Oh, you've been uh, doing this for a long time. And he's like, Oh, how much you make? And then she tells him and he's like the next scene, they're like <laughs> unloading the bee, the bee boxes from the truck. And it's like, you could just see the, the gears turning in this guy's head where he's like, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to start keeping bees. I mean, if this one woman can do it all by herself, surely, surely I can keep some bees. So, the film opens with her climbing the mountains. It, it, this, so this takes place in northern Macedonia in the, in the Balkans. And uh, she's by herself just climbing these mountains and uh, uh, sort of pulling little bits of honeycomb off of natural beehives. And she kind of just carries them da- back down the mountain and then she puts them in her own little it's they're not even like boxes so she's not she's not even like breeding them or anything it's this is like all natural and she just puts the the comb into this other little area that she has that she she just sort of created out of 
these like ruins and that's like her her livelihood that's what she does and then these this family moves in and and, and it's funny because there's it seems like they're in the middle of nowhere like they mm-hmm. there's just so much land yeah there's so much empty land with no one around and this family moves in like right next door. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, you know, this is the equivalent of you going to a movie. You're the only person there. Someone else comes in more, only one other person. And they either a decide to sit right beside you or they're seven foot tall and decide to sit right in front of you. Yeah. It's incredible. So, I mean, they're like right on top of her. They're, they, it's, baffling yeah, how this it, happened it, you know it seemed like a very expansive valley that it could have easily went somewhere else and not only that but this couple they have like i don't know six kids something like that they have was, a ton of kids i think it was eight kids eight kids and then they have all this cattle too well, that, so they, they have like that was the first thing that confused the hell out of me is they move in they right they move they they set up shop and everything. Kids running around, whatnot. And you're like, oh, okay. Here they are. And then, like, a couple of scenes later, there's just a ton of cattle. And it's just like, where where did they get all this cattle? And it's like a legit <laughs> operation, too. Like, all the cows are tagged. They all have ear tags. Mm-hmm. And how? When did this I, happen? They must have bought them. They must have just bought a bunch of cows because they, they seem all of them seem completely inept at farming. Like they, they seem to not have any idea what to do. And they're all, they all just seem completely overwhelmed with trying to deal with this. It's like, it's like tomorrow you decide, you know what? I think I am going to be a farmer and you're and and you just without doing any research or anything you just go out and buy 200 cows and you're just like all right now what it was uh pretty incredible and they uh so they have all these cows but then they also grow crops and stuff too which i thought was yeah i, guess, I mean i guess they they grew that <laughs> unless it was already there they just took it that's right i mean i think their first issue and it's maybe not Maybe it's not the ineptitude. I think there's it's more so of a like maybe you're just spreading yourself too thin, especially when well, it was like one guy trying to do most of it. <laughs> one one guy and like a whole gaggle of children under the age of ten. Yes, those are the workers. Which you know they're it's, not going to help like, you. They're just yeah, going to get in the yeah. way. It exactly, makes, it makes things and, more difficult. Right off the bat, when they first arrive, there's like a scene of them hammering something on the truck and he's using a rock. And I'm like, okay, well, this is not getting off to a good start here. Like this guy, they're coming in, they're trying to set up a farming operation. This guy doesn't even have a hammer. He doesn't even have the basic tools needed to run something like this. And then, of course, like a few scenes later, we see all the cows and they're just running around. They're just doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. Like they have no control over these cows. They're like, some of them are giving birth. Some of them are dying. They're just willy nilly, these cows. So what did you think of the movie overall? Uh, I mean, it's beyond fascinating. 
especially everything that she does because that that initial scene of her climbing that like walking that cliff side you're just like this is this is nuts and at that point i i I don't know what she's doing you know i just know that she's like a beekeeper and then it just there's just rocks it's just a rock base and she just chisels out like three little pieces of rock and then removes this giant piece of slate and there's just like immaculate honeycombs and it's just like how how did you what i have so many questions and then she just you know takes a little bit and she has a little her like beehive backpack thing <laughs> that she ties up with her handkerchiefs and then she just walks back and then she has you know it it almost looks like a graveyard of those honeycomb backpacks with like helmets on top of them, which it seems to be like her backup bees. I mean, it's just, it, it was nuts. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely not what you think of when you think of beekeeping, you know, you think of beekeeping as a very controlled thing where you're, you have the boxes set up and you have sort of the, you know, the slats where they, you have the bees build the building, the honeycomb inside of the slats and then you pull them out and harvest them and, and all that stuff. And she does it all like pure. These are like straight up, just natural bees, like in nature going up, pulling off a piece, setting it up down, you know, on, on the near her house and doing it that way. And apparently it's like something that was, she's done for like generations. Yeah. And then these assholes show up with their bee boxes right next to her. And it causes a lot of problems because they, they imported all their bees. They brought in all their bees and she's like trying to help them at first. She's like trying to teach them how to do it because they have no idea. They have no idea what they're doing at all. They're getting stung all over the place. Meanwhile, she's just like climbing up mountains and handling ripping off honeycombs like it's nothing and the bees aren't bothering her at all and she doesn't use any equipment no no equipment no nothing she does have a smoker uh that she seems to use sometimes and there was one scene towards the end where she does have the like a a, the hat like the bee hat to keep them off her face but most of the time she just doesn't have gloves or anything like that she just they don't seem to bother her at all no and that's but she the, but she she knows oh, sorry go ahead well that's the thing is she knows what she's doing and she keeps it very simple which i uh, you know it, at one point it did i did kind of understand the guy getting into beekeeping because she does make it seem really really simple you know because she's just like oh here are my honeycombs she's like i take half for me i leave half for them so they have something that you know keeps them happy they don't attack me and then everything's fine. And it's like, Oh wow. Beekeeping seems kind of easy, but, but there's a, a lot more to it, but she does like, and like you said, she's trying to help him out where, he, you know, like later on where he kind of gets into more trouble where he's trying to meet these ridiculous production expectations to try and make money. You know, she's trying to, you know, just give him the littlest bit of information of like, Hey, you have to leave them some of the honeycomb because if you don't, 
they're going to attack and kill all of my bees. Like, they're just going to be very angry. Don't do that. And, of course, that's exactly yeah. what he does. <laughs> you know that's what he's going to do. Because they show, they show her saying that to him, like, leave them, at, at least leave them half. Don't take more than half because then they'll get pissed. And then, like, the next scene you have that guy who there is the guy that the family is selling their their stuff to and he's like oh i need i need this much i need 20 kilograms or whatever and they were not producing that much and i think that they were running into in this a problem initially where like they weren't their bees weren't like producing anything and then eventually he was just like well we got to get this honey so obviously he took way too much and his bees got mad and you can see that in the movie too like they get really aggressive and they start stinging they sting like the little they have like a little infant and it stings the infant in the neck and they start stinging everybody and then they go after her bees of course yeah there's and I'm just like do they not realize it's so dangerous like what they're doing is so dangerous having these like babies around thousands and thousands of angry bees well, again, yeah, and that's the thing. It's all—it's all born out of this. This them trying to make money, and this guy essentially taking advantage of them, and they're just trying to turn out as much honey as they can. And you know, she's right there, and she's trying to tell him, like, that you can't do this. It's not going to work. And it's just, yeah, and then, if, and then after they—I think they do get—they do get their quota, but it pretty much wipes out all of their their bee production. So they're like desperate to get more going and then they do something. I don't know if it's like, if it's a spoiler or what, but they do something, him and that, the guy that they're selling the honey to, they do something later on in the movie that is so infuriating and like I couldn't even believe like I knew that they were doing it as soon as they showed them like with the equipment and stuff and I was like I know what they're doing here. And and not only do they do it but they do it in like the dumbest way possible. Ah. <laughs> uh, I was this movie made me angry <laughs> on many many occasions with this family. And then all their cows get sick and their cows start dying like like crazy. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the bummer thing is there, there is one, like the one son, it seemed like mm-hmm. he was, you know, like maybe early teens or just before preteen, you know, and yeah. he'd be like, he's like really invested into like learning about beekeeping from her. And he's actually learning like a lot of information. And even he's trying to like tell his dad, like how to do things and that like this isn't right and we have to do it this way. He sort of becomes an apprentice of um, the main character, Haditza. Yeah. And she she teaches him like all this and she and it's funny because like when you see him working with her, he's fine around the bees and the bees are fine with him. But then when he's working with his dad and his dad's like dragging him around and making him do stuff. He's getting stung all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and he's trying to tell his dad, like, no, nope, we're not doing it right. This is not right. 
uh, I thought the that the the film overall was was fascinating. I thought it was gorgeous to look at. I mean, it takes place in a really kind of beautiful, remote, mountainous region, and I think that they utilized the 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 locale to the to the fullest in a lot of the cinematography it looked it looked really gorgeous and a lot of the shots that they were able to capture uh, both the landscape and sort of the nature photography yeah. that they did like lots lots of like close-up footage of the bees and stuff like that it all looked really phenomenal yeah and i thought that overall it was just a really really well crafted documentary I mean, this is all done natural light too. Mm-hmm. All this, I mean, it's it's pretty phenomenal, especially with the, I mean, the way the movie starts off, like just kicks off with that like far distance shot of her, just like walking through the valley, and then her up on the cliff. It was just like, oh yeah, let's do this. Mm-hmm. This is going to be great. Mm-hmm. There's that one really amazing shot where it's. Uh, it's, it's right at like magic hour and she's walking and it's like, she's sort of in silhouette and like the sun is setting like behind her and it just looks so gorgeous. Like everything, everything about this movie and how, how it was shot was, was just really, really top notch stuff. Really impressive. And, and I liked the, I mean, I thought that the the story, the narrative as it is, uh, they did a really good job in sort of showing that, you know, th- that nature, there's, there's a specific balance that you need to keep in nature. And when you have outside forces that come in and mess with ecosystems like this, it can cause really catastrophic things to happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see like this family coming in and just completely upending this woman's life and potentially threatening her livelihood. And she, this is all she knows. This is all that she's done her entire life. And not only that, but she's taking care of her elderly mother too. Mm-hmm. On top of that, and it's it's she she's at a loss. Like she doesn't know what to do. So in that regard, it's also sort of a, a fascinating journey oh yeah because i mean how often do you get to either learn about let alone see in real time you know in verte style freaking bee hunting in macedonia yeah and ju- just the the conflict between these two people these these neighbors and to see how this like organically evolves over time i mean we spent a lot of time with them there. I don't know exactly how long the, the, they were there for like the crew, but it seems like a very long time. I think I read it. It was three, three years or three or something like that spent with them. Yeah, I could, I could see that because the end of the movie is during the winter time. Yeah. And so you see like snow, snowfall and stuff too. Uh, when did they say, so they, there's only like a specific time that you can like harvest the honey, right? Didn't they say it was like September through October or something like a really short span of time, Yeah, which makes it all the more, you know, pressing that she's able to get the right, this, the amount of honey that she needs to buy food, you know, for her and her mom. I wish I knew exactly where this was. Because I know it's in northern Macedonia, but it 
doesn't she at one point in the movie early somewhat early on she goes to Skopje which is the capital of Macedonia mm-hmm. and so I so she probably isn't too far from there and Skopje is in northern Macedonia anyway and there is there is like a mountainous region to the northeast I think so I'm wondering if it's around there but the the films the films in Turkish which I thought was also interesting that she speaks Turkish and the family that moves in is also a Turkish family well from what I read in an interview uh, the filmmakers on No Film School is that she actually speaks five languages now they're oh, wow. all like local languages of Macedonia but you know Macedonia has Turks Bosnians you know a, you know, a large array of citizens yeah the Macedonian language is actually made up of many different dialects so you have like Serbian like Bosnian and they're all sort of dialects of Macedonian now like all of my Coworkers speak Albanian, and Albanian is like the non-official language of Macedonia. It's sort of like the accepted non-official language. So, like everybody I I work with and speak to on a daily basis, all speak Albanian. Gotcha. And they all live in Skopje or Deber or Okrid, which are three um, three cities, three of the mm, somewhat bigger cities in the country. Okay. Yeah, right. It's a fascinating place. It really is. I, I I look forward to going there at some point. I said before, I think when we first talked about this show on, on a previous episode that I have a, a, a large portion of the, uh, my coworkers actually li- live in Macedonia. My company has uh, three offices in Macedonia. So... I would, I would never guess that. Three. You're saying three offices. Yeah, we just opened the does office Ma- in Skopje. Does was Macedonia the need three? I feel like they don't need three. I mean. Well, it's in three different cities. It's I know, not all in the same city. <laughs> still, how many offices do you have in America? Uh, one. Okay. See, don't you think that's odd? <laughs> <laughs> Well, the the thing is, we have a lot of we have a, we we employ almost six hundred people, or sorry, almost five hundred people in Macedonia. So, the really, it's just about the population of the cities. Like in in Deber, we're the number one employer in the whole city. Gotcha! Wow, never would have guessed. I'm gonna learn mm-hmm. all sorts of things here with Honeyland. So many things. Granted, I I don't know if this movie is a good representation of like what Macedonian culture is necessarily. No, I mean it's pretty. It's a pretty singular vision. It's you know, yeah. it's one woman doing beekeeping, and then another family trying to do a whole lot of stuff. Any final thoughts on Honeyland? Uh, definitely check it out. Definitely worth yeah. time. Yeah, completely agree. All right, Kevin, what are you going to give it out of 10? I'm actually going to give it an 8. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, I'm I'm sitting right there with you. I have very few 
criticisms. Uh, it was an, an incredibly interesting story. I thought that the that uh, Haritze was a really she she was just a really endearing protagonist, mm-hmm. and you can't you can't help but just kind of like her. She's just a likable person, and I liked spending time with her and just seeing how she lives. And I, I think that that goes a long way in these verite style documentaries. Uh, and then of course the visuals were just, uh, outstanding as well. So yeah, I'm sitting right there with you at, at an eight. Ooh, double eight. Look at that. Yep. Watch out. Highly recommend. Uh, Honeyland is playing in limited release right now. So check your, check your listings and see if it is playing in your area. All right, let's talk about what we've been watching this week. Kevin, I think you are up. Okay. I watched uh, Pepe Lumoco. This is a movie from 1937, directed by Julian de Vivier. Now this, another movie, good location. This takes uh, place in the Caspar region of Algiers. Okay, so this is like a gangster movie. And the way this, this bad boy starts off is, there's a detective or an inspector from Paris. He's there in Algiers, and he's like, we got to get this guy. He's like, he's the number one gangster. Why can't you guys get him? And they, they're explaining to him that if he stays in the Casbah region, it's like a labyrinth. And if he stays in there, they can't get him. Because they, they kind of, in the beginning, they kind of give you the lay of the land. You know, they show you, like, all the corridors, all the little walkways, all the roof system. You know, there's so many different levels to this to this area. And everyone essentially likes this guy, this gangster. So they're all working for him. They all help him out Like when the cops come or it gets around quick and he's able to get out. So essentially what they're trying to do is devise a plan to get him out of the Casbah. That way they can grab him. And then it also kind of comes down to where... Yes, if he stays in the castle, everything's great. And he's essentially free, but he's not really because it ends up becoming a prison for him because he kind of gets sick and tired of the Casbah. And it's just, uh, in terms of a, a gangster movie, it's uh, it's pretty fantastic. The only thing that's a little bit disappointing is towards the end of the film, the way that it plays out, the way that they're able to kind of coax him out of the Casbah, it kind of... They kind of just like let go of the location. They do this weird thing of where he's like running out and there's like the camera's just on the back of him and there's just this blown up projection in front of him. And it just, it, it, it felt really cheap. And it's just like, man, you have this incredible location that you could have utilized for this, for this culminating event and you didn't. But overall, mm-hmm. Pretty fantastic, and the, the the great cat and cat and mouse game with the the inspector Silimon, played by Lucas uh, Grido. Because it's like he's friends with the gangster guy too, who's played by uh, Jean Gabin, which is I mean it's classic Gabin performance. And they're like they're always hanging out and chit chatting with each other and kind of teasing each other that you know he's going to catch him one day and this and that. He's just he's waiting, he's biding his time. So this All was right. on uh, Criterion Channel. So if you have that, I would definitely okay. check it out. Pepe Lamoco. Check it out. I saw Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. 
Ooh. Yeah. This is uh, so. This is directed by Andre Overdahl, based on the popular novel series by Alvin Schwartz. I think there were two of them that he wrote. And uh, I thought that this was pretty good. I didn't love it, but it was it was solid. There were a few kind of nitpicks I had, mostly involving. I thought that the characters weren't very strong. Mm-hmm. And there were just a few other things with the more so like the overall narrative, like the overarching narrative, the thing that sort of uh, like the glue that held the individual scary stories together, I thought was a little bit weaker than when the stories themselves took shape and and when they adapted those like almost verbatim. All of that stuff was was really great. I thought any any fans of the original books, I think, will have a lot of fun revisiting some of these these tales um, because they did a really good job, at least in my recollection of the books. I haven't gone back to to read them in many many years, so I could be way off, but it from what I remember of the stories that are in the movie, it's pretty close and uh, they did a good job. It was very creepy. A lot of jump scares in this, lots of like loud, loud noises. And there's some like kind of false jump scares in there too. Some of them, some of them didn't work, but there's still a lot of really kind of atmospheric, really just creepy imagery in here too. Hmm. And, and all of that worked. The, all the creature design and stuff is just, top notch i mean they they just took the design straight out of the book and and translated them to the screen and it all looked really really great and and very unsettling uh so overall i think that it's it's a fun movie i think that it sets itself up for a sequel that could be even better but as it as it stands like as a standalone product i think it's uh it's still Really good. And I mean, I think that that this also proves that you can make a scary PG-13 horror movie. You know, this isn't an overly gory movie or anything like that, but it still does a fantastic job of just creeping you out, much like Drag Me to Hell did. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I give it a light recommend. Scary Stories Still in the Dark. Okay. All right. Uh, another thing on the uh, Criterion Channel here is uh, they recently put a, a substantial number of Herzog movies, a little mixture of everything, you know, films and documentaries on there. I think there's about 12 or 13 titles in total, uh, one of which is 1971's Fata Morgana. So this is a, like an experimental documentary that he that he made uh, utilizing footage in and around the Sahara Desert. So he has this essentially broken into three parts. He's got the creation, paradise, and the golden age. So the creation section is, I thought, the strongest of the three. It's pretty much just a ton of footage of this sprawling expanse of a desert, just, you know, nothing around. And it's overlaid with uh, someone retelling the Mayan Kukumat myth and the Popova, which is like the, the creation of the world. <clears throat> so it, it kind of, it, it links up pretty well because, you know, it talks about how there's nothing 
nothing on earth and then they started creating things and you know the corresponding visuals are just empty desert so that's something i thought worked really well paradise is a little eh, a little iffy golden age is where it completely lost me which is interesting because it seemed like the more and more that humans were introduced into the documentary the worse it got for me which mm. I, I'm, I, I don't know if that was the intention. I doubt that it was the intention, but I, I found that kind of funny. Uh, essentially, the, the humans ruin, right? And it's just a lot of stuff that he does that just didn't really work for me. Like he starts incorporating a lot of Leonard Cohen's music, which for me just didn't work. And they keep coming back to these, to these, I guess, uh, interesting individuals. But if you don't find them interesting, it's very easy to find them annoying, which is what happened for me. I didn't find any of them interesting. They were all annoying to me. And then he like he would keep coming back to them. They would keep showing up. And oh, by the end of it, I was just, I was very irritated and wanted it to be over. So it starts out strong. And man, it gets rough. So it's like a I I I wouldn't recommend it. I don't think it's I don't think it's essential. All right, and that's Fata Morgana from 1971. I uh, I saw Batman Hush. This is a new animated DC animated uh, film that's uh, an adaptation of the Batman Hush storyline in the Batman comics. One of my favorite. Uh, Batman stories and I thought that they did a pretty decent job of adapting it into this movie they did change a number of significant things notably the end uh, which I'm not I mean it worked within the movie but it's like because I'm familiar with the story I just wanted it to be the story you know what I mean like I just I wanted it to be what happens in the comics and what happens in the movie doesn't seem to fit as well mm-hmm. as the, the written form. And to that, I would say that the movie doesn't really do anything better than the comics. So I, like the animation is good, but as far as the, the story itself, uh, I would just recommend reading the, the series I think it's far better than what they do Mm. here. If you don't want to read it, then I guess this is a good consolation. (laughs) But uh, it's, it's great because it incorporates a lot of the sort of Batman, you know, rogues gallery of villains. You have pretty much all the main villains in there. And then of course you have hush, which is the first time we saw this this villain, and then also you have Superman in there too, who gets involved in the story. So it's it's a really nice, big, like meaty Batman story. And uh, you know, the DC animated movies always just exude quality, and I think that this is no exception. So I'd give it a, a very light recommend. Batman Hush. Okay, that's all I got. I'm done. Okay. Uh, I'll just mention one more, and that's Brightburn. I finally caught up with with this movie. 
which is the sort of superhero horror movie, super villain horror movie, I guess, okay. uh, where you have a, a Superman-like origin, but instead of being the the savior of the planet, this kid is just pure pure evil, pure evil. Uh, I, I think someone on Letterbox uh, on their review said we need to talk about Clark Kent <laughs> as uh, the title. That was uh, Wesley R. Ball on Letterbox who said that, and that's pretty much what it is. You know, you have this uh, this kid. He is entering puberty and he starts acting very strange. This is a kid who is found. It, it takes place in Kansas. And uh, an alien ship crash lands and there's a baby inside and Elizabeth Banks and um, David Denman play a couple trying to have a child and they're struggling to conceive. And all of a sudden this baby appears on their property and they raise it as their own. And it turns out that he has very uh superhuman powers like he can he has super strength nothing can penetrate his skin he can fly he can control things with his mind he has heat vision he's has super speed he's unstoppable wow. he's just an unstoppable killing machine and uh it turns out that he's a little bit of a psycho so he starts going around murdering people and mm. the movie you know it's a it's a great premise you know, what if Superman was bad? You know, we've seen that before in, in comic books. Uh, Irredeemable is the series that comes to mind. But we never really saw it before in in movies. I think the, the Netflix, uh, I'm sorry, the Amazon series, The Boys, which is also adapted from a comic, sort of goes into that territory and, and poses the question, you know, what if these superheroes aren't, aren't so heroic and they're you know, do, do are capable of doing such awful things, but I feel like it doesn't really capitalize on the potentially great premise. I sort of liked how it ended and the, uh, level of gore in this movie is pretty out of control. Like I didn't expect it. I had heard when it came out, I had heard it was pretty violent, but it's very violent like really gory. And that was a bit of a surprise. Uh, even, even though I was kind of prepared for it to be pretty bloody. Uh, and I don't know. I, I think it had potential, but it was just slightly, slightly undercooked. I think they, they could have done more with the premise. And I think the big part is like in a, in a movie like, we need to talk about Kevin. You can tell that like as Kevin transitions from being like an innocent child into like a, a, a psychopath when he's sort of developing his sociopathic tendencies, there's, there's like a slow transition and then, and you can also see him like grappling with this where, whereas like he knows that this is happening this kid just goes from being a normal kid to being evil very quickly. And there's no, like, he's not grappling with it. Like, he's not, 
fully embraces it. Having having inner turmoil about his actions, like he's just straight up evil. And I think that th- that transition was a little bit too jarring and it, like I just hated him so much. Like I just didn't want I hate him so much that I just didn't want to spend time with him in a movie. Gotcha. And I was just ready for it to be over. So, yeah, Brightburn, a bit disappointing. It has some cool effects work and stuff in it. So maybe, like, when it hits Netflix, give it a look. I don't think it's worth your money, necessarily, but maybe maybe when it's on Netflix. Or, like, a cheap VOD rental, like $1.99 or $0.99 or one of those. All right. Let's take a look at what we have in theaters this week. We got the Angry Birds movie two coming out. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't see the first one. I have no interest in this one. I uh, got a movie called Adam coming out in limited release. Perfect. Yeah, it's my name. That movie's name is my this name. We got to cover. Please tell me there's a Kevin coming out <laughs> this week too. We can that do a two. That would be pretty incredible, but uh, that is not the case. Uh, no. We have Where'd You Go, Bernadette coming out. That's the Richard Linkletter one with Kate Blanchett. I'm interested well, in that. Yeah, but you just glossed it. What's Adam about? Is it about you? Uh, no. Uh, it's, uh, well, it does say awkward, self-conscious Adam Freeman. I am awkward and self-conscious, but my last name is not Freeman. Uh, has just finished his junior year of high school in 2006 when Uh his cool older cousin Casey suggests he visit her in New York for the summer. Adam has visions of meeting a girl and finally gaining some actual life experience. So it looks like a little bit of a coming-of-age comedy. Which is like your favorite. Uh, To a certain extent i mean i wouldn't say it's my favorite i do like that (laughs) type of movie but uh, not enough to really be interested in this in this one Mm. i am interested in where'd you go to bernadette though um we have good boys all right yeah I'm, i'm actually quite interested in this it looks pretty funny got a got a bunch of funny funny kids in there jacob trembley and the kid from last man on earth what Oh, I stopped watching that show a long time ago. I was about to say, there's a kid mm-hmm. in that show. Mm-hmm. Apparently, things have evolved. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's really funny. This, this, this. Are you interested in this? Sure. Why not? Yeah, I have like, no idea. Looks like a good Maybe. time. I enjoy good. Raunchy comedy involving young little children. Oh man, put it on. Put it on Ryan's list. Yeah, I know. This is this is definitely a Ryan movie for sure. Let's see. We also have 47 Meters Down Uncaged. This is the sequel to 47 Meters Down. Sharks. Shark Attack. Love, love all these sequels. Mm-hmm. Unnecessary. Yeah. Very sequels. Yep. Uh, Blinded by the Light. This is the music comedy about uh the guy who i guess it's a true story this this uh guy who kind of falls in love with uh bruce springsteen the music of bruce springsteen Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it doesn't really look like my my thing. No. We also have Driven. This is a uh, biopic about J- John DeLorean, which we also... This is the second DeLorean movie that we've had come out recently. One, there was that wonderful. one with Alec Baldwin not too long ago. This one looks a little bit better. This is with uh, um, Jason Sudeikis and Lee Pace. Judy Greer's in there, too, as is Corey Stoll. So you have okay. a... You have a better cast lineup here. And I feel like Lee Pace is just, uh, he's always good at playing an 80s guy. I guess that's just from his role in Halt and Catch Fire. He did such a good job of being an 80s, an 80s dude in that. <laughs> at any rate, I have a mild interest in this. Uh, let's see. We have The Amazing Jonathan. That's, the, that's a documentary about uh, the, the comic the magician. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, Man, yeah, I buddy. used to... I would have used When I was a kid... Oh, God, that guy was the... I was, I was just going to say that exact that that exact thing. He did a set. I think it was, on, it was on Comedy Central. And I don't even remember what show it was on. But he did a set, and it was so funny. I was just... When I was a kid. When I was a kid, yes. it, was, it was so funny. He did that one bit where he has like the whole that like the giant jar full of like cocaine and he and he sniffs the whole jar of cocaine. <laughs> and it's just like this is a magician. I, I I guess when I was that young I'd never seen any kind of like comic like comedy magic before. Yeah. And to me it was just so funny and like a lot of his bits were like where he's like cutting off his hands and his fingers and stuff. And it's like bloody. It was just, I don't know. I, I guess at that point I hadn't really seen anything that Penn and Teller had done. And I just really liked his, uh, his stuff. So yeah, this is a Hulu documentary about him. Okay. Uh, we also have aqua aquarella. Mm. I'm not sure what that is. If that's a documentary. Probably. Yeah. Um, Cold Case Hammerskult, which is, uh, I think it is a documentary oh, by yeah. Mods Bruger. And if you remember Mods Bruger, he's the guy who did The Ambassador and he uh, did St. Bernard Syndicate most recently before this one. And he did The Red Chapel. I'm interested in. Uh, in this one, this sounds pretty pretty fascinating. In 1961, Secretary General of the UN uh, died in a plane crash in northern Rhodesia. He was en route to ceasefire negotiations between non-combatant UN forces and troops from the breakaway state of Katanga. He was, uh, blah, blah, blah. and it's just about like the conspiracy yeah. theories involved with that. Gotcha. I dig Modsburger, so. I'm kind of interested in this. Now we also have Gwen Bunwell in the Labyrinth of the Turtles. Ooh. Bunwell in the I Labyrinth s- of the Turtles. That's an animated film. I did not expect turtles. No, neither did I. Uh, and then that's about it for theaters. VOD this week. We got The Mummy Rebirth. This is on the 13th. Teacher. 
This is an unflinching portrayal of trauma as a contagion passed between people and generations, all set within the prism of modern suburbia. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, features yeah. David Desmalchian and Kevin Pollock. There you go. Yeah. I like uh, I like both of those people. So you also have Blindsided, Charles Manson music from an unsound mind. This is yet another Charles Manson movie. I believe this is actually a documentary about his music. Wonderful. Career, Great. Such as it was. Yes. It was non-existent. Like you're making a whole documentary about him trying to make music. Give me a break. Yeah. And he doesn't need that. Exactly. Like, just be like, Oh, he was trying to make music. And then he became, yeah, he's a crazy white supremacist and have people kill a bunch of people. The end. Exactly. Uh, Velocipastor comes out. Oh my God. 13th. About time. I thought that came out. Go like at the beginning of the year. Nope. Nope. It's finally, finally coming out. A man of the claw. <laughs> There's ninjas in it too, by the way. Are they dinosaur themed or just ninjas? They're regular ninjas from the looks of it. Do you think Philosophy. there's any dinosaur ninjas? I don't think so, but I mean, there should be. We could give this a look and see. <laughs> okay. Also the 13th, Power of Grayskull, The Definitive History of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Oh, there you go. He-Man dot. That's it. I remember that was on Kickstarter like a long time ago, like ages ago. Okay. Uh, is That You is coming out. This is a, looks like a horror, horror movie. Cuban horror movie. Yeah. All, All right. right. No. I'll bite. I'll, I'll check that one out, maybe. Uh, then on Friday, we have Driven. We have Awake. This is with Jonathan Reese Myers. Looks like a thriller. Francesca Eastwood is in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. William William Forsyth. Oh, buddy. <laughs> Our friend. Friend of the show, William Forsyth. Palookaville Zone. What a- what a guy. <laughs> uh, and then also on the 16th, we have Gwen coming out. Okay. Gwen is also a horror movie uh, about a young girl whose life seems to be collapsing around her. She's struggling with her mis- mother's mysterious illness, her father's absence, and a group of angry villagers threatening to take her farm. Oh, Sounds like it could boy. be another folk car. Got got some more folk horror going on here. It, it looks like it. Is this the one that is directed by William McGregor? Uh, maybe. Because it's... It is, it is. Okay, the IMDb uh, synopsis is a dark folk tale set mm, in the hills of Wales during yep, the Industrial Revolution. I mean, I'm not saying that that's good or bad. It's just we, we are seeing so, so many of these. Mm-hmm. So many. The floodgates have opened. Yeah, absolutely they have. I mean, I'd still rather have folk horror than found footage any day. What about found footage folk? Oh, oh my God. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> found footage folk. There's got to be one. Oh my God. 
You could do it with like a like a like a Super 8 camera or something. You could definitely do it. I mean, I don't think it is I don't think it's like a hard and fast rule that full car has to be a period piece. You could make a modern full car and have but I would, some I would kind like of found a, footage. I would like it to be a period piece though. I mean, uh, by and large most of them are, but yeah. All right. Blu-ray this week we got Got a biggie here, Avengers Endgame. Oh, I was actually checking out the Blu-ray for this this bad boy right before we started the show. Oh, that one got got a late start. Uh, no, there were other reasons I got a late start. (laughs) Sucked into the Avengers. Yeah, second time around watching it, it's it's pretty awesome. Still, I I still love it. It's still one of my favorite movies of the year. So. Highly recommend checking that out. I can't. I haven't checked out any of the bonus content on the disc yet, so I can't s- speak to that. There is a whole second disc of bonus content, but oh boy, from the looks of it on the back cover, it doesn't look like there is that much. So it might be one of those deals where they just put it on the second disc because the the movie itself is so long that they had to just put the supplements on another disc. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not sure. It doesn't it doesn't look like there's that much, but uh I should have a review for this up on the site by the time this uh, episode airs or shortly thereafter. They're coming out with new 4K versions of all of the Marvel movies too. And pretty much pretty yeah, pretty much all of them. So I don't need to go through the whole list. Uh, let's see. Vice Squad from 1982 is coming out. We got The New Kids from 1985. This is coming out on one of those uh, Mill Creek Entertainment VHS things where they make it look like an old VHS movie. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I have yet to purchase any of these. They look they look kind of cool. Um, and, and a lot of the movies they've been putting out on this line I've never seen before. So, And The I'm New Kids surprised. is one of them. So. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised yeah, I'm, you haven't done this yet. Yeah, I just haven't taken the plunge. Shadow is coming out. This is the, uh, I believe it's a Chinese film from last, I think maybe this year it came out in the States. Uh, look, I heard, heard pretty good things about this. I think we have a review for this up on the site, actually. Radio Land Murders from 1994 coming out. Remember Radio Land Murders? No, do not. Really? Interesting. I've never heard of this movie. Really? Huh. Maybe it's uh, worth a look. White Line Fever from 1975. This is another Mill Creek release. Another Stakeout from 1993. Fierce Creatures from 1997. Waking the Dead from 2000. The old Billy Crudup, Jennifer Conley. I remember always seeing this at the video store. (laughs) Uh, Billy Crudup. Yeah, I'm not sure if I ever saw the movie, but... Unplanned from earlier this year. Vault from earlier this year. I think we have a review for this up on the site, too. They sent me a Blu-ray for this movie, and I didn't ask for it, and I don't even plan on opening it. <laughs> I think, see, I, rec- I, they, I think they meant to send me Brightburn, but they sent me Vault instead. Oh, this is, okay. I was like, why does this sound familiar? This is one of the writers is B. Dolan. If you know who B. Dolan is, the yes, rapper. I do know who B. Dolan. Yeah, I do know B. Dolan. Yeah, so that's 
Really? Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Maybe I'll give it a look now. I don't I know. Didn't, I did not know that he wrote movies. This is the second movie he's written. Huh. All right. Enemy Within. Uh, Let's see. Looks like there's a big Saw collection that's coming out. Eight films. So it's a big Saw box set with all of the Saw movies. That's pretty cool. It looks like they're coming out with the Leprechaun collection also, which includes seven of the leprechaun movies Jesus, this is the collection week yeah oddly it doesn't include the new leprechaun movie that came out earlier this year so it goes from the original one in 93 up to leprechaun origins which came out in 2014 Mm -hmm. but it does Mm -hmm. not include the one that came out earlier this year yeah we seem to be getting into that they they start releasing like the kind of Halloween releases like er, pretty early. Mm-hmm. They're coming out with these uh, new Blu-ray editions of uh, Halloween 2018, Get Out, Cult of Chucky, and American Werewolf in London, and Happy Death Day to You. Also, those so those are all getting new releases. Uh, it looks like a bunch of animated movies are getting re-released too, including Spirit Stallion of the Kimaran. I don't even know what that is. Uh, Puss in Boots from 2011, Shark Tale, Home from 2015, Madagascar, the original Shrek, and Monsters vs. Aliens, all getting new Blu-ray releases. If they have anything on them that's new, I, I doubt it. Oh, and Flushed Away, too. Uh-huh. And Rise of the Guardians, the one from 2012. Damn. It's a whole bunch of mediocre anime animated movies oh and b movie and kung fu panda and ants oh my god (laughs) so it's like animation animation overload are they re-releasing every movie this week is that what's happening there's a lot of blu-rays coming out that are i feel like we've been talking about blu-rays for like 25 minutes yeah it's a huge list this week a lot of generic stuff, too. Uh, any Criterions this week? There's one, thank God. And that's the Inland Sea from 1991 from uh, Lucille Carr, which is, is interesting. And it always piques my interest when Criterion does this. Either A, releases a movie that I've never heard of, and B, from a director I've never heard of. Like, I've never heard of this movie or its director ever. Until Criterion decided to put it out. I don't think I have either, actually, so that's cool. Uh, All right. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And please take a minute to give us a review on your podcast platform of choice. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.